This is Essential. 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 This is Essential Audio. Hello and welcome to this Walk podcast. My name is Chiara Manco and today we're talking about creative effectiveness. In particular, we're going to discuss the winners of this year's creative effectiveness category of Can Lions, which rewards creative strategies that have met business goals and driven sustainable impact over time. Walk has recently published a report titled Insights from the 2021 Creative Effectiveness Lions winners, featuring themes from this year's work to uncover what it takes to be both creative and effective. With me to talk about this work is Shazia Ginai, CEO of NeuroInsight UK, who wrote a feature for the Creative Effectiveness Report, and Todd Sussman, Chief Strategy Officer at FCB New York, who worked on the gold-winning Wapadito campaign for Burger King. So, Shazia, I want to start from you. In your contribution to the report, you analyze the winners from a neuroscientific perspective. Uh, really, what you uh, did was uncover how they appealed to the human brain, in essence. So tell us a bit more about what that means exactly. Okay, so firstly, thanks so much for having us. It's a, a, a real pleasure to do this, and particularly after the last 18 months, it's really nice to be talking about this stuff um, as we're coming out of the back of a really difficult time. I think what, what I was referring to mostly was um, anything around how the subconscious is responding to stories. So uh, the human brain's actually not that interested in brands really um people don't necessarily enjoy it when i say that but our brains are effectively making sense of the world and meaning of life through stories and so that's where the foundation of my piece uh, comes from so what i had basically talked about there was the work we do at neuro insight is we measure electrical activity in the brain and specifically looking at different regions of the brain that correlate to different cognitive functions and one of the core functions that we look at is what we call long term memory encoding now long term memory encoding refers to the information that our sometimes quite lazy brains choose to encode into their memory. So stuff that your brain will find new, interesting and personally relevant, emotionally engaging and therefore will want to take that story and put it into its long term bank. And that is correlated directly to what happens in terms of future action, decision making and behaviour change. So the piece I wrote was basically around why these stories, these amazing campaigns, showcased work that was interesting and relevant enough for the brain to want to pack it away and therefore do something with, which is what drives impact for brands. Wonderful, thank you. So now if we go into the themes that you found, you found three themes in your analysis and one of them was about building emotional connections with consumers. And we could say that a great example of that was the gold winning campaign for Pernod Ricard. So what they did there is they wanted to promote their digestive intended to be drank in moments of togetherness by encouraging people to have more of those moments of togetherness with their loved ones. But the way they did it was pretty shocking. They essentially created a digital tool that allowed you to calculate how much time you had left with your loved ones. And it was promoted through a very, very emotional film showing real people's reactions to uh, the results of these calculations. So if you could tell us, Shazi, about this work and what it can teach us about connecting emotionally with consumers. 
Yeah, so this this one was particularly interesting, I think, for the reason you just mentioned. It was an emotive campaign. Everybody knows that emotion is incredibly important, but this was done in a way that was actually quite, I guess, polarizing in a way, um, kind of uh, quite melancholy, quite sad. So one of the things that we know is that the human brain has evolved to not just take information in an isolation, it does so um, with an associated emotion. Okay, so if back in the day, if I was out hunting and gathering and I saw an animal coming towards me, I would encode that, but I would have an associated emotion if it was a saber-toothed tiger or something like that, likely fear. So I would encode that and that would help me for future instances for my protection and for my survival. So when it comes to campaigns, a lot of the time what, what brand owners tend to think is you have to drive really happy stories and positive emotion in order to um, get people to engage and like something. But here's the trick. Our brains love stories, as I said, and natural um, storytelling in our lives. So all of our day to day stuff, that's not just always a happy story. So what they did really cleverly was tell a very human story. It's a really personal story. It's something that people can relate to because, as they say, the only certain thing in life is death. And so we all relate to that being a natural part of our existence. And so what this campaign did really well was it used the idea in a way that, yes, it might have been sad, but ultimately it led to a moment along with the brand, which was positive. So the moments where the brand was being showcased were around interaction. And if our brands build by association, your story may be something that's kind of a bit sad in terms of its foundation, but the brand is being showcased alongside something that's actually kind of amazing. Now, one of the other things that we do know is that, you know, people are wired for connection and this could not be more true, right? Given what we've just gone through when we were in lockdown, when we were isolated and away from our loved ones, I think people became more consciously aware of it than they ever have been. And so this campaign worked really well because it brought to light that thing that humans are wired to seek, which is interaction and connection. So that's another reason it works really well. Now, the other thing um, that, that worked incredibly well on this one is the, the brand and the product wasn't kind of slap bang in your face. It wasn't really overt. Um, and this, this is a mistake that gets made sometimes when there's kind of the... Um, I guess the sense of urgency to sort of put it in front of people and make sure that they remember what's going on. But actually what works much better is if brands and products are woven into the story. So they're part of it rather than being the front and center thing. They kind of come into the story and the story takes precedence. And we did some work um, a while back with Thinkbox, which is a trade body for advertising in the UK. And what we found through that work, it was all about the drivers of creative effectiveness, was any ads where products were showcased as opposed to being overtly sold, you had a 17% higher brain response. And that's for that exact reason, that our brains really enjoy um, the story and the product being woven in is what works super well. I hope that's answered your question. I could waffle on about this stuff forever. No, absolutely. It did. Thank you. The second point you made was about work that generated intrigue and almost achieved viral status. 
And Burger King's Whopper Detour is a perfect example of that. So now, Todd, I want to come to you. First of all, congratulations on your gold lion. And uh, will you tell us what it was exactly that you did with Whopper Detour? Yeah, for sure. First of all, thank you for having me. This is really exciting. Also, uh, Shazia, I would I can sit for hours and listen to you awful lot. I think what you do is fascinating. Uh, I think it's it's really really interesting. Um, I'm actually fascinated to hear after so we talk a little bit about Whopper Detour. Like, how did the brain react to Whopper Detour? Because I think at the end of the day, it doesn't make any sense. And I think that's ultimately like kind of probably why it worked. Uh, because it challenged a lot of conventions and it subverted a lot of things. And, you know, sort of, you know, you were talking about storytelling. I think it put people into the story and let them be a character in a story that was really interesting. Um, but to give a little background, you know, what did we do? You know, we got a brief um, pretty early on from Burger King. And, you know, at surface, it looked like just drive downloads to an app. And, you know, you can look at that and be like, oh, all right, there's a lot of ways to do that. The, the rule book or the playbook says you do a lot of things. Maybe it's performance marketing, it's direct marketing. There's sort of a tried and true way to do it. You know generally how much the cost per download is going to be, what the media looks like, all of that. And you can do that and you can run that playbook. But Burger King kind of was in an interesting moment where they, you know, QSR, every QSR brand wanted to do a, uh, you know, a, an app download. And it was important for a lot of reasons. If you looked at, at that moment, sort of in two, 2017 and 18, what the future looked like for any QSR brand, it was certainly the app was king. Um, you know, that was where the future was going. 30, $40 billion worth of revenue were going to be driven through it in the next couple of years. It was basically the new drive through. Um, and it was important for every brand to have a, a place in it. And to be completely honest, Burger King was in a not a great place. There's a lot of words you can use to describe what their app was. It wasn't innovative and ingenuity. It was, you know, sort of they had made some leaps, but it was at a place really where they had caught up. And they said, hey, how do we drive downloads? And what they've tried in the past was, you know, oh, you can throw free food, free discounts, get free fries, all of those types of things. But at the end of the day, it just doesn't work. Like no one really cares about those things. And they end up doing a seven, eight, nine dollars cost per download. Um, so we knew we had to do something different. And of course, Burger King, everything they do sort of subverts the ordinary anyway. So we knew we had to drive downloads in a way that only Burger King would do it. And so we really approached the assignment. We said, all right, this is interesting. How do we get people to download this thing? How do we do, do it differently? How do we inject creativity into this to truly be an economic multiplier and really add some fuel and some voltage to an app download campaign? So we knew it had to be important. And we also knew they didn't have anything unique. We couldn't stand out and be like, now you can do this that no one else can do. And so basically we, we, we dug in, we really thought about it a lot and we started to think, you know, what rules can we break? How do we make people actually care about this thing? And we realized, you know, the insight came, I think at one point we were talking about it and I think the team actually at one point was like, it was late and they were like, we're hungry. And we started to Google, you know, where is the latest, where is the closest Burger King? What you realize very quickly is that Burger King is at a massive disadvantage than over their competitor, McDonald's, which is literally McDonald's has almost twice as many locations as a Burger King does. Right. And if you think about that in the war of sort of fast food, 
location is incredibly important. People don't want to spend a lot of time going anywhere. The longer they go, you know, the less you're going to get capture them as a customer. So we thought about that and we said, how do we subvert that? If the rules are say, you know, drive someone to, you know, your, your, your restaurant, how do we use this sort of competitive advantage that our, that, that McDonald's has? How do we flip it? And so we simply looked at that and then we looked at what the app was doing which was the app enabled one thing, which was you can order anywhere. It was mobile ordering. So we thought to ourselves, well, if you can order anywhere, maybe anywhere can be the competitor. Maybe anywhere can be McDonald's. Like, why does it have to be, you know, from just your home or from your office? And so we immediately had this big sort of aha moment, which was, what if we hijacked all of the McDonald's? What if we literally turned McDonald's into Burger Kings, if you will? And we had people go to McDonald's unlock sort of the app download and by doing that you get a free whopper and so we turned we sort of created a new um sort of marketing um strategy if you will which was geo conquest we said we're going to use your advantage your real estate is going to turn into our advantage and we're going to put all of these roadblocks in place for people to have to go and download and get a free whopper we're going to put these in place and in the act of doing that in and of itself is going to be so much fun and so intriguing, so different that it's going to create this sort of, you're going to be this story and this character and we're going to put these roadblocks in front of you and therefore you're going to get more than just the app download and you're going to get more than just a whopper. What you're going to get is participation in something that feels a little subversive and a little rogue and that's exactly sort of what the Burger King brand is all about is driving that like-minded mindset and customers into their franchise. And the results were astounding, weren't they? Can you remind us how many app downloads you got? I remember you got uh, an absurd number in the very first few days. <laughs> it was an absurd number. Uh, <laughs> we got, uh, so a little context. At the time, the Burger King app was, I believe, 686th in the app store in both, uh, I think, iOS, and it was somewhere close in Android as well. Um, in less than 48 hours, it became the number one app beating like Instagram, Facebook, Spotify, like all of those guys. Um, we got 1.5 million downloads in nine days. Um, up until that point, I think they had about 4 million. Um, and so that's a significant percentage of new downloads in just nine days. Um, the overall, the whole campaign, this was a pretty short campaign got about 3.5 billion impressions. Um, and so all of that like sort of transactional sort of impact, I think was really exciting to us in the sense of, you know, creativity just basically added this fuel. It wasn't that we bought it, we, we threw media tonnage at this and that's how we got these downloads. It was really, we injected an idea into the system and people went bonkers over it. And it was because it was fun and unexpected and that's what sort of drove the engagement. And, you know, so there's that transactional piece, but then there's the other start that we started to see over time that I think we put a lot into our case study as well that got us even more excited about the impact, which is there was the downloads, there was the impressions, but when we looked at the lift in restaurant traffic, there was actually an imp impact in terms of how many people just went to the restaurants. So it wasn't just the downloads, it had a much broader effect of just driving people to Burger Kings in general because of the buzz and the excitement that this whole campaign drew, people were excited to just walk in as well. So we had about a three and a half uh, percentage lift in restaurant traffic. I think they had 
on one of the days in the middle of the campaign, their highest restaurant traffic day that they had had in like five years, six years, something amazing like that. So it had some really big you know, impact for the brand, um, a big impact for the business because those new people that downloaded the app now they're new customers, right? Now they're sort of, there's a new sort of engagement uh, platform that we had with them. So when you sort of model out what is the impact for them from an economic standpoint over the course of the year, you can see that it's about $18 million, incremental, $18 million in incremental sales the following year, just from the new people that came in from this, this idea. So it's, you know, a lot of people look at the Whopper Detour and they just focus on the, the downloads or the buzz and the impressions. But the, the substantive impact that it had on the business um, was really where I think the power lies. Yeah, and I think what is really exciting about what the data as well, as you were saying, it came from a brief about increasing app downloads. And as you said, there's a lot of ways you can approach that. But, you know, you could argue it's not the sexiest brief. It's not necessarily an exciting brief. Uh, some of the judges uh, of the Creative Effectiveness Alliance talked about this um, in our interviews with them. And they were saying that campaigns like Wapadito show that creativity can really be infused in all sorts of briefs. Doesn't matter which part of the funnel they come from. And they called it turning the mundane into meaningful. And so I think, as you were saying, with Wapadito, you really use creativity as the fuel to do something completely groundbreaking on a brief that was maybe mundane in a way. <laughs> well, I, well, I feel like you wouldn't describe it that way, though. I wouldn't. I mean, I don't know. I don't think any brief is mundane. I think that's, that's sort of a trap. I mean, I get it. I understand the point. It's a little bit of a trap to say like that brief is mundane because I think if you start labeling things like that, then you kind of give up on the brief. And, and I don't think that's fair, you know, because I do think any brief has the opportunity for greatness. And I think that's what that's what we try to do at FCB all the time is we look at any opportunity and say, how do we add voltage to this? How can creativity flip this and sort of make something amazing out of this? And I think this is a great example of that, like you said, where, you know, we, we attacked it and we said, can creativity take this um, thing that feels very tactical and actually sort of blow it up and make it make it fantastic? But I would say the brief is, maybe it's disguised as mundane, but the truth of the matter is it, there is more underneath it than you realize from the surface, which is this was outrageously important for Burger King. This wasn't a tactical brief of just like get more downloads. Like this was kickstarting a big part of what they needed to do as a business and what their future needed to capture. This was part of a digital transformation. And if you think of the brief as, you know, there is a consumer out there. There are new patterns in the world that people are engaging with in terms of QSR. App is at the heart of it. App in the in the order ahead and mobile ahead and mobile payments and, and all of that is basically the new drive through. All of a sudden, the app, this brief becomes way more important and way less mundane. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we try to embrace the spirit of it and what's really sort of driving it and what the business goal of a brief is and not sort of just like what the tactical sort of objective might look like from the outside. Now, Shazia, your turn to tell us what you thought about Wapadito and why in your eyes it was so successful. 
Yeah, so I mean, it, it's such an interesting one because I was just talking about how our brains are less turned on and less switched in by things that are more price-led. But this was done in a way that, that wasn't too overt. So it was it was almost kind of knowingly doing this thing, right? So the message was about ordering. It was very brand heavy, you know. Um, but the reason why this works so well is because of the intrigue. It's because of the type of story that tools that were being used. So what we know about our brains is that they can be quite lazy. They can also be very selective. I always like to say there's only so much space in the hard drive. So, you know, what we're looking for um, when, when we start to analyse, you know, what could work when it comes to campaigns is, are these things intriguing enough to capture the brain's attention in a world where the brain is bombarded by stuff? And sometimes it's the element of shock and surprise that can really, you know, capture attention. And attention is such a buzzword right now. And I could talk about that for hours because there are different types of attention to be paid. And I think this one, um, you know, grabbed attention in, in a way that was, you know, less um, superficial and more very immediate action oriented, which is exactly what the objective was. Now, we did some work um, on Out of Home with uh, Posterscope, JC Decote and Clear Channel, where we looked at dynamic triggers within campaigns. And what we found was when campaigns were created that had live updates that created a sense of urgency, that makes that sense of personal relevance kick off. It's I have to do this because there's something in it for me. And that's exactly what what this does. Now, we know that the part of the brain we measure, which is the measure of engagement or personal relevance, that um, from the correlation work we've done is proven to be a driver of what goes into memory. So that intrigue for a start, that captures the attention, but that sense of urgency creating that relevance, that drives the action, that drives that memory moment. And so that's the reason I would say this one worked so well. I think the interesting thing on this one, maybe controversially so, is I was saying earlier about how the brain builds by association. So there's a chance that this campaign did a few favours for McDonald's in the process, right? Because there's also some brand association being built for them. But hey, you know, there's space for everyone to win. And it did the work for Burger King. So that's what counts. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Todd, I wanted to come back to you uh, for a question on creative effectiveness more broadly. So this category of lions is all about creative work that drives business impact. So why do you think it's important to really establish this link and make this link clear between creativity and effectiveness? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question. I think but creativity for creativity's sake doesn't do anyone any favors, right? At the end of the day, like, you know, at what clients need are, is impact. They need effectiveness, they need results. And, you know, we're in the business of using creativity to solve problems at the end of the day. And we really do believe that when you add creativity, like we were saying to any brief, when you add creativity to any problem, um, there, is an, there is a economic multiplier effect. There is a multiplier effect in general um, to that. And so that's what we try to look at, which is, you know, 
how do we bring that into the entire sort of system, if you will, of how we connect with the client? And I don't think creativity all the time has to just be seen as the output. Like I think creativity is oftentimes also sort of, you know, drives effectiveness earlier on as well in the process. Oftentimes, you know, as the, maybe it's just the planner and me talking, but I think there's creativity that comes into planning, creativity that comes into research, creativity that comes into finding insights, digging through data. You know, it's that kind of just general mindset, I think, and curiosity that you have to apply to, to your client's business. And when you do, I think effectiveness comes out of it. And I do think it has to be in the, the entire stream, the entire work, the, the way you work and the way you think um, and the way you collaborate. And so when you do that, I think ultimately you can then look at any problem. You can look at any mundane brief and be like, how do we apply creativity to unlock something like this? Because there's potential everywhere. You know, and a lot of times there's potential um, where the clients don't expect it. And if you can bring creativity to those solutions or to those problems, um, I think that's all, oftentimes when I think, you know, even more sort of exciting results happen because all of a sudden sort of something new collided, you know, with something that was expected and now sort of a whole new system has been built, right? And I think when we did, um, Michelob Ultra recently in courtside, that was a great example, right? We sort of brought to them sort of an unexpected way to engage with basketball. We're like, what if you're the brand that sort of reinvented the viewing audience in, in terms of NBA, right? That was applying creativity to a, to a problem that they hadn't expected that they were able to solve. And by doing so, you know, there is a massive business impact and effectiveness. So, you know, that's generally just sort of how we look at at everything we do when we engage with clients is, you know, give us your problem. And, you know, if, you know, if, if creativity has any role in anything we do, it's solving that problem and driving effectiveness. And Shazia, what's your view on the relationship between creativity and effectiveness? So, I mean, I, I agree with, with what Todd was saying, that creativity for the sake of it doesn't work. But, you know, I think creativity is the key to long-term brand building. And that is what effectiveness is about. I think, you know, there have been several conversations around how brands were really bogged down with tactical, very short term campaigns that overtook um, the capacity, I think, that a lot of brands had to think about the long term. And creativity is at the core of that. I mean, there's some amazing research that's been done, you know, around how the brain forms creative ideas, you know, and and just having creativity, as Todd was saying, kind of running all the way through is really key. I think the other thing, and I mean, this isn't something that we've discussed yet in this conversation, but you know, when it comes to the importance of creativity, I think there's a there's a recognition or there is starting to be a recognition that in order for that to really work when it comes to effectiveness, we need to diversify our teams. Because if you have everyone around the table digging through that data or coming up with these big ideas or putting the final executions together who have the same lived experiences then you won't get the breadth of creativity that's required for true effectiveness. And that is really important because otherwise you go back to creativity for creativity's sake, which is, you know, we all sit in a room together. Everyone who's got really similar like backgrounds comes up with similar stuff. True creativity at the heart of real effectiveness 
is about breadth and depth. And I think that's where we need to move forward to. I'm hoping that we're starting to as an industry now. Todd, I can see you're nodding. So <laughs> you, you agree with this? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I think, I think it goes, you know, it's, it's an imperative at this point that we apply different perspectives and diverse thinking to problems and to, to the solutions. Because I, I think, I think it's in those sort of collisions of thoughts and perspective and experiences that, you know, truly sort of powerful, meaningful um, re- re- so- solutions and ideas come to life. I think without it, there's a massive blind spot and um, you end up becoming, you end up building things that are, you know, relevant, you know, to us, to us, to one community, but completely sort of excludes different communities or sort of misses great opportunities for you to sort of connect in a meaningful way. So I think that's, you know, it's a huge part of what we try to do as well is sort of bring as many diverse perspectives as possible to, to any brief or any client problem or any, you know, exercise in general, like you're saying, you know, if you're going to dig into data, dig into insights, you'd be surprised how, you know, how easy it is for implicit bias to sort of skew the results of that. Um, and I think, we're, you know, we put a lot of emphasis on recognizing that. Um, and being aware and being sort of an advocate and an ally for sort of diverse opinions and perspectives. Now, if we look at the third theme, Shazia, that you identified among the winners, this was around topicality and in particular about how some campaigns succeeded with very topical content that was also controversial at the same time. And one of them was retailer baby shop in the Middle East, which showed commitment to gender equality by creating an entirely new Arabic word for parenthood, because in Arabic, parenthood literally translates to fatherhood only, with no mention of mothers. And so baby shop's new word included mention of both mother and father within the word for parenthood. Of course, it was an incredibly bold thing to do, and it led to some backlash from some of the more traditionalist segments of Arabic society. Society. So, Shazia, can you tell us about this work in relation to the importance of top- topicality as well? Yeah, so this this campaign, I mean, wow, like it, it, it hit me hard when I was looking through um, because, you know, really brave, really, really brave and bold move. And the, the backlash was interesting because it was, I think, 50% negative responses on social media. Now, one of the things that we know about how the brain works is we know that there are certain you know, measures that we have, such as that measure of engagement, that's a driver for memory. But we also look at a part at the front of the brain um, where we, we talk about this thing called approach and withdrawal, which me- measures the direction of the emotion that you're feeling. So it's your brain going, do I want to lean in towards this or do I want to take a step back? Now, sometimes that equates to like and dislike. And we would likely see for something like this, yeah, there's withdrawal. You're seeing that 50% negative response because somebody's trying to overturn generations of conditioning which come from language, so powerful. But what we do know is that that measure that we have and that part of the brain and that, that metric is not a driver of memory. It's not the driver of action. And one of the things that we also know is that in order to fundamentally change and shift paradigms and things that need to change in the world, 
and we see this a lot in social purpose campaigns, that having a positive and happy emotional journey all the way through isn't what's important. Sometimes jarring the brain captures the brain's attention. So sometimes it is important to go that way. Now, I mentioned previously, and I think I've mentioned repeatedly, that that measure of engagement that we have, that personal relevance is a driver of memory. So topical content, stuff that feels of relevance now, has a real impact for that exact reason, because it's a driver of memory. It it intrigues people. Um, Your brain wants to know what this is. Now, we did some work with Twitter a while back where we looked at advertising content on social media, and we saw that ads with a topical narrative, they were 30% more likely to be watched in terms of the without prompting people. If people were just scrolling through stuff and their brain is doing what it normally would, they're 30% more likely for their subconscious to want to stop on something that is topical. And that goes back to this point around engagement and personal relevance. And even if sometimes that stuff is jarring, I think it's really important. I had a um, a slight debate with someone about this not long ago, actually, because they were talking about how sometimes the award winners are not often the same as the ones that in traditional research, such as surveys and focus groups, they're not the ones that always um, do well with consumers. Now, this is a great example of something I imagine that wouldn't do well if you went to people and talked about it as per the backlash, but it's incredibly effective. And the reason why is because sometimes you need to go against the grain to drive change. And also when it comes to real effectiveness, whilst it's incredibly important and I'm a researcher at heart, so I know the consumer need is key. But in terms of effectiveness, you know, advertising campaigns, they help to shift and drive narrative more than people really recognize, you know, and they're setting a subconscious agenda for society. And so even if there is a backlash, because it's relevant, because it's topical, the brain's paying attention. And that first moment of getting the brain to engage is a step in the right direction. So, yeah, powerful, powerful work. After your analysis, you concluded that the one campaign that delivered across all three themes, emotional connection, virality and topicality, was the Grand Prix winner, Nike's Dream Crazy. So I'm sure most of our audience will be familiar with this work because it had really huge global impact. But essentially, Nike with Dream Crazy was trying to champion the power of athletes to move the world forward in the face of adversity, prejudice, social injustice, and quite aptly, it chose as the face of the campaign Colin Kaepernick, the former NFL quarterback who had protested racial injustice by um, taking a knee. So, Shazia, tell us about what it was about Dream Crazy that really make it made it stand out so much and appealed to the human brain globally. Yeah, so well, you know, when I, I read about the campaigns and was looking at kind of what the patterns were here, um, the reason I called this out as fitting across all three of those themes is first and foremost, there's great storytelling at the foundation of it, which as I said at the start is key to any good campaign. The second thing is this one is incredibly topical. You know, it was tackling a subject that we know um, is tricky but we also know grabs attention we know it's forefront of a lot of people's minds 
The other thing that's quite interesting in this, and we see this in a lot of campaigns, is where you have great story and it's relevant and, and you know, it's, it's topical and people's um, attention is captured. You have to sustain a narrative thread in order, in order for the brain to really want to carry on the journey. And this was done really cleverly because there was a clear theme that went all the way through. And there was also a celebrity that was recognized as being part of this story and the core of this story. Now, when we measure long term memory encoding, which is also, you know, which is linked to action and decision making behavior change, we measure it both from the left and the right hemisphere. And our left side of the brain is where we process quite detailed information. So lots of the snapshots of narrative that we take in. But the right side of our brain that that takes in the bigger picture of something, it's also responsible for familiarity. And retrieval of familiar information. So when someone familiar is used in a campaign like this, it's really going to kick off that side of the brain. So there's a lot of reasons why this works super well. I think that the story is is great. The emotional connection, which we know memories encoded alongside emotion, that topicality, that relevance, it encompasses all the great stuff that good creative effectiveness is all about. And Todd, while it wasn't really about taking a stand on a social issue, what Predator is definitely an example of a risky strategy. After all, you were essentially hijacking competitors' outlets to sell your own products. So what's your view on risk-taking in communications? Yeah, it was like the ultimate risk, right? We sent people to our competitors' restaurant. <laughs> like, you can't get any riskier, I guess, than that. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, there's a couple of things that can mitigate the risk. I think a great strategy and you putting the rigor up front and really truly understanding sort of what you're trying to achieve and who you are um, and how you're going to do it, I think takes some of the risk out of it, out of being brave, because, um, you know, at the end of the day, you're falling back on a strategy that you believe in and you trust. So it's that foundation exists. I think knowing who your brand is and who you are and understanding sort of your brand purpose and understanding sort of like how you show up in the world and what expectations people have for you and you've established, I think takes some of the risk out of it as well because ultimately what you're doing is you're challenging, in our case, you're challenging people, but you're challenging them to join you. You're, you're, you're challenging them to sort of participate with you and, and sort of be part of the story. And I don't think it's as risky as it sounds once you realize that you're giving them an opportunity to play and you're giving them an opportunity to participate with the brand and in some respects join the brand and being this rogue sort of challenger sort of mentality um, brand you know what you're doing is saying join us contribute to this mentality and if you know who you are and you have a strong foundation of sort of who your brand purpose what your brand purpose is we call it a brand bedrock sort of what the strategy is if you understand your consumer really well I think it takes a lot of the risk out of it, you know, and a lot of the risk out of being brave. And ultimately, if you do all of those things right, um, a lot of times those risky things are irresistible. Like you have to go after them um, because it, it feels right for the brand and, and right for the business opportunity or the business challenge and right for the who you're trying to connect with. Thank you, Shazio, and thank you, Todd. It was wonderful having you today. Yeah, no worries. Thanks. Thanks very much. If you want to learn more about the work we explored, you can find all the winners on Walk and download our report, Insights from the 2021 Creative Effectiveness Alliance winners. To make sure you never miss an episode, don't forget to subscribe.
Thanks for listening.